look around, uh, you know, get inspiration from those uh, who are good at certain things, uh, who are uh, like uh, well-rounded professionals uh, and who are eager to help. Welcome to the Beyond Sourcing podcast, a podcast series brought to you by SAP about procurement leaders, procurement pioneers, and their stories behind the transformation and the movements they were behind beyond sourcing. My name is Tamara Braun, Chief Customer Officer, SAP Intelligence Band Management and Business Network, And today, I would like to welcome Mr. Hakan Akai, Global Head of Supply Chain Management, Property Management Services at Vodafone. Welcome, Hakan. It's a great pleasure for me having you with us today. Thank you very much, Tamara. Uh, thank you very much for the entire SAP team as well for, at the background. It's a pleasure uh, to be here. I'm very, very happy to be talking to you uh, in this podcast. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Hakan. Let us start into the podcast with uh, giving us a little bit background. Who is who? Who is Hakan Akai? And maybe it would be so great if we can hear from you a little bit what we cannot read in your LinkedIn profile. Sure, happy to do so. Hello, everyone. First of all, uh, this is Hakan. I'm heading up one of our Uh, indirect spend category teams uh, in the Vodafone procurement company, which is the central procurement unit of uh, Vodafone Group uh, based in Luxembourg. Um, so I studied managerial engineering in the university, and uh, I've spent uh, my 19 years of career by now in different areas of business, including trading, finance, and lately procurement. About maybe a little bit of my background that you cannot see really in the LinkedIn profile. I was born in a small town in Western Anatolia region of Turkey. Uh, my father was a branch manager uh, in a national bank. Uh, so my family and I moved from smaller to bigger cities um, in a gradual way during my childhood. So that trend of moving from small to big cities uh, continued un until uh, when I was around my late 20s. And it stopped and took a sharp U-turn uh, when I decided to move from Istanbul to Luxembourg. I mean, imagine Istanbul being a kind of 18 million inhabitant city. And uh, I just decided to come over to Luxembourg, which has only 600,000 people. But nevertheless, uh, I must say that uh, I still feel like having a metropolitan life here in Luxembourg uh, without the downsides of living in a big and crowded city. So maybe if I continue with uh, some of my background uh, for the interest of the listeners today, in terms of um, you know my childhood, uh, there are a few kind of factors that influenced me uh, and influence who I am today. Uh, I can say that uh, probably immigration is uh, now part of our family tradition. Uh, my ancestors were exiled from uh, Caucasia to Anatolia during the Great Russian-Ottoman War of 1870s. Uh, both my father and mother's parents uh, were part of an insurgent mountain tribe uh, that had to move following the war. Uh, so I grew up with stories of bravery and uh, rebellion. I mean, that didn't necessarily make me uh, rebel myself, uh, to be honest, but sort of formed my life view as to be resilient at tough times and always find a way to move uh, on whatever the circumstances are. So uh, I felt like it proved to be quite important as a quality uh, during my life stages so far. That's really impressive, uh, Hakan. And I can, I can imagine that uh, what you say, growing up in a, in a smaller village, moving from the smaller villages to the, to the bigger cities, moving 
out of a capital like Istanbul to a small country like Luxembourg, this uh, is really bringing a lot for your life with, with you. And uh, this is in a, in a certain extent really dominating how you grow up and which personality you become. That's really fascinating. And Hakan, let me ask you one, one personal thing. Of course. You said your father was working in, in a bank. And I know before you came to procurement, you were in finance as well. Okay. And you were in the okay. trade area as well. Did this influence you so that your father was working in a bank that you first moved to finance? Or how did you come first to, to trading and, and then to finance? Yeah, we'll try to answer that question. Indeed, uh, I mean, uh, father's uh, path is generally followed by sons. So I think, uh, you know, uh, working in finance probably have been also partially influenced by my, my father at the time. Uh, I remember a kind of clear moment in my uh, teenager period, like I was reading a newspaper article where I saw an article about like money engineering as the kind of future job of the world. Uh, I, I had no clue about what money engineering was, but I remember myself going back to my father and saying, I want to become a money engineer, whatever it meant. So later on, funnily enough, I mean, I studied managerial engineering uh, in the Technical University of Istanbul. So it was as close as I could get into whatever money engineering was what. Uh, however, I mean, uh, when I graduated from the university and we studied a lot of like uh, different subjects, like from marketing, human resources to finance and accounting, uh, what I had in mind was like uh, to get involved in like end-to-end -end trading activity from procurement to sales. That's why uh, I wanted to start my career in a trading organization. And that's exactly what I did. And uh, I worked as a cotton trader uh, for a few years in a large Turkish conglomerate. And um, someone, again, kind of had an influence on me to slightly change the course of my career from trading to finance. Uh, that was uh, my boss back at the time, uh, who was a seasoned finance professional who had 20 plus years of finance background, uh, but who was also a very, very good sales person, uh, like characteristically, I would say. And he was uh, the person behind, uh, you know, the idea of setting up an internal trading team within the company while he was working as a CFO. And he influenced, he convinced the board uh, to set this trading team up. And he became the kind of director of that trading team. And he became my boss as well. So, I mean, he kind of was the uh, person to hire me for that role. And I was really, really influenced by his uh, finance skills. Uh, and he was the one, uh, the first one to teach me, like, whatever you do in, in the business, you need to have, like, solid financial understanding and finance background. And that kind of uh, got me into the world of finance, or that influenced me to kind of step into the world of finance later on in my career. I can imagine, Hakan, that uh, trading is, this is really a super busy, hectic day. It's dominated by day rates. So it, it is really always, uh, and, and here it's already the bridge to procurement. It's already, what is the demand? What is uh, there on stock? How can you manage it? And then moving into finance. Mm -hmm. Have you ever missed in finance sometimes areas of the trading or was finance from the very first beginning as interesting for you as the trading part? Yeah, I mean, moving to finance was a kind of conscious decision and uh, I didn't make a very, very sharp move there. Uh, I also 
looked into the areas of finance where I could possibly do a smooth transition. And when I investigated actually the job market, uh, the, the, the role that was quite appealing to me back in the time was internal audit. As uh, internal audit not only includes like uh, audit of uh, financial accounts and financial statements, it only has the element of like running operationals uh, kind of audit. And I thought that would be a nice smooth transition opportunity for me as I could use my trading skills or whatever I learned uh, from the first years of my career uh, immediately, uh, I could apply them immediately while uh, having the opportunity to learn new skills uh, in the core finance area. So that is the kind of first role I undertook in the world of finance. And then I moved on gradually to accounting, reporting, planning, etc. side of the finance world uh, in a kind of uh, in the corporate finance sense of things. Did I miss uh, certain things? Yes. I think, uh, you know, in trading, especially in commodity trading, you have like really end-to-end responsibility of uh, the trading flow from sourcing, uh, financing, logistics, uh, marketing and sales and uh, delivery and contract management. So this uh, wasn't necessarily the case in finance, but I, what I liked about the finance, what I still like about finance, and uh, you know that is sort of a familiarity and similarity for me uh, between finance and trading, it's in finance, you also have a kind of very end-to-end view of your business and your operations. I mean, you cannot just miss out one component because otherwise, uh, you know, your P&L, your balance sheet, uh, your cash flow statement wouldn't necessarily tie up. So uh, in the in the basic sense of the word, uh, finance gives you this uh, opportunity to have a kind of uh, holistic view of your, uh, your business, uh, which is quite similar to trading, even though you are not necessarily running that operation, you still need to have a good understanding of that. And I think, uh, you know, my trading background sort of complemented my step into the world of finance. It is really interesting. And I'm sure, Hakan, the audience who is listening to us is really inspired from such a career track, really coming from the trading area into finance. I'm, I'm really surprised and amazed uh, starting as internal auditor and moving then from the internal audit really to reporting and to other areas of, uh, of finance. So I can imagine this gave you already very, very good insights to all the jobs which came then in, in finance. And uh, after a while, you moved to supply chain, to procurement. So out of finance, into procurement, uh, where I would say that the finance skills are an amazing basis when you move into procurement, because there you need it as, as well. Nevertheless, it is, it is a different area. So it is really, you are responsible to bring everything in, to source everything, to really cover the demand from your, from your lines of business. Mm-hmm. So what, what inspired you moving from finance to procurement? Yeah. So I would say sort of reintroduction to procurement uh, happened uh, as follows. I'm saying reintroduction because like uh, in the trading you Procurement uh, and sourcing is also part of uh, the business, even though it's not kind of, uh, you know, core element of it. So I was working back in the time in Vodafone in Turkey, uh, in the Turkish operation, and uh, I was in the finance unit. And uh, the opportunity sort of presented itself, uh, um, you know, when uh, Vodafone Group decided to set up a, a central procurement organization in the Grand Duchy of Luxembourg in the middle of Europe. And, um, you know, 
that was quite interesting for me uh, from two angles. Uh, first angle was I always, uh, you know, find it interesting uh, to take part in new ventures, in uh, new companies, in new setups. And a procurement company was particularly interesting to me because I had the trading background. I had been working in the finance domain for a few years. And now I, something actually was uh, burning in me actually to go back to the kind of commercial side of the business again. So I thought a procurement company is a wonderful opportunity. And secondly, uh, more for uh, from a personal uh, point of view, Luxembourg was also a perfect destination for me because it was, despite the uh, you know, the fact that it's quite a small country and not very much known, actually, uh, especially back in the time in Turkey. Uh, I knew it very, very well because, um, again, back to the immigration background of my uh, my family, uh, many, many members of my family in the 1970s had immigrated uh, from Turkey to uh, Luxembourg, uh, mainly as, uh, you know, for, uh, guest workers, so to say, or uh, mainly in the kind of carpenter, being a carpenter, uh, they had moved here. So among them were uh, some of my best cousins, my uncles, my aunts, uh, lots of relatives already living here. And I had visited the country before. So I thought it was a perfect match, actually, a new organization focusing on procurement in a country that I have already like acquaintances with. So I it just struck me in a second. And uh, I sent a note out uh, to the uh, CFO of the company uh, back in the time. Uh, to ask him if uh, there's an available position for me to apply and then came back in half an hour uh, with uh, some roles uh, proposed and uh, you know after a few months uh, I was uh, in Luxembourg taking part in this new venture new uh, new organization <laughs> I can when you when you explain it 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 sounds so easy it sounds so to say hey there's a new job I assign for the job I pack my stuff and I move to another country I know it for my own uh, it is easy set uh, but independent if you have relatives there who lived there already for for a while it is a big step it is a big step and you made two big steps at the same time. So you changed the job. So you moved into a new role and you moved into a new country. I hope that with this podcast, we reach as well a lot of young professionals and young talents. Maybe do you have a tip for them to say, hey, when you are making such a bold move, when you are moving into a new role and into a new country, what was the key success factor that you got quite quick the foot on the ground uh, in the country and to settle in the job? Yeah, of course, when I talk about it now after like uh, 12, 13 years, it sounds uh, very much easy and uh, straightforward, which wasn't necessarily the case. You are absolutely right, Tamara, uh, in saying you know, things uh, do not come that easy or that are they are not given. Uh, you are absolutely right in that. Uh, I mean, uh, I think the key success uh, factor in this kind of moves is, first of all, I mean, I think uh, we need to be kind of ambitious. We need to at least have an idea of what options we may be interested in and then actively look for those options uh, because uh, you may be very, very ambitious, but the opportunity at the right time doesn't represent itself. It's quite difficult to get to too far with your ambitions. Uh, likewise, if you don't have any kind of target, any 
any destination in mind, uh, you will just ignore, you will not even see the kind of opportunities that may present themselves. So it's just a combination of, uh, you know, uh, being aware of what would be of interest to you and what you would like to do in the next steps of your career. And also uh, seize uh, those options and opportunities as they arise. Uh, I think uh, this is quite key. And when you find this combination right, uh, I think it makes things quite easy and it helps you to kind of get through the hurdles of making such a kind of bold move uh, rather comfortably um, and uh, rather easier. I think that's the main criteria. I mean, you have a target, you kind of find an opportunity, you go for it, and uh, you kind of put yourself, especially at the very beginning, uh, to kind of make this a success. Um, there's not a kind of magical ingredient to that success. I think it's it's all about like willing to do something and uh, creating or finding the right opportunity to um, to produce that outcome. Do you know what I liked very much when you when you started and and you said, now after these many years, it seems like easy. And this is absolutely, I would say, important. And maybe with this, we can co convince the, the young talents uh, to do bold moves and don't be feared. Because when you look back, you always remember the, the easy things, the good things from, from the move. And the one things which were a little bit shaky or where you said, oh, was not the biggest uh, quick start. So you forget it easily. And after a while, you really uh, remember the, these good things. Thanks for sharing it so openly, Hakan. Okay. That, that's very inspiring. Thanks uh, for that. My pleasure. And, and now you you are responsible for the procurement uh, area of uh, indirect procurement. And uh, even our podcast is beyond sourcing. I would be really interested and uh, really get to know from you what is the area of responsibility you are covering now. Uh, for quite a long time, I was in charge of uh, what we call corporate services procurement in our uh, organization that covers all the business consultancy, legal and financial services, uh, all human resources related uh, procurement, including, um, you know, temporary labor, permanent kind of recruitment, um, and uh, all uh, kind of travel fleet and meetings and events areas. Uh, and lately, I've been in charge of uh, property management services, which includes Uh, real estate leasing, all the facility management services activities and all the uh, kind of capital projects and the retail fit out uh, spent uh, categories in our organization. And Hakan, let me, let me ask you one thing, because uh, this morning when I went to the office, I uh, passed a, a Vodafone shop and I was uh, positively surprised that there was a long queue in front of the store, there was in the store everything perfectly organized to cover the pandemic rules. So I saw that there are a lot of desks in, there were only three of these a lot of desks, there were people sitting and uh, and I said, oh, wow, I, I have the feeling it it is still good Yes, uh, reflected and people are going to the shops. How did the pandemic situation hit you with the shops? I can imagine when we had the lockdown and everything was closed, that this was as well a challenge for you and your team in the procurement area. 
especially in in my uh, domain of property management services, you are absolutely right, Tamara. In the very first months of the pandemic, uh, we followed the kind of measures uh, taken by uh, respective governments, um, and that led to kind of uh, shop closures uh, for extended periods of time. But I think. Uh, you know, like in many other things, pandemic situation kind of accelerated some of the trends uh, that had already started. And digitalization is, I think, uh, one of them. Uh, so uh, that period uh, was, uh, albeit very, very difficult for our employees, uh, as well as for our customers and for the societies in general. I think uh, it uh, also helped us accelerate our digitalization efforts. So digitization of retail stores was already a kind of theme uh, with us. And with the pandemic, I think, uh, and with the investments we did in this space, uh, we kind of accelerated our digital channels. So uh, we gave our customers the ability to kind of connect with us, uh, even though they were not able to kind of step out of their doors due to the pandemic and the measures taken by the governments. And, uh, you know, I think that that worked pretty well. And whenever, uh, you know, the measures were sort of lifted and we were able to kind of open up our retail stores, uh, we were back, uh, back to business. And we continued actually supporting our customers both through digital channels. If you ask me, I mean, uh, I think there are two keywords that describe the post-pandemic world. Um, and that's quite generic. I mean, not only uh, limited to telecommunications, I think it's, these are flexibility and hybrid. Uh, so I think important thing is to kind of provide this, uh, you know, flexibility to, to your customers as well as to your employees when it comes to the kind of uh, office spaces, for example, uh, you know, to access to your resources or to your assets, to your retail stores, uh, to your offices, uh, you know, physically, if they wish to do so, but also give them the flexibility and option uh, to reach out uh, using digital channels. I think this is uh, like using or taking the best of both worlds. Uh, and I believe pandemic uh, kind of just accelerated this trend of like providing this hybrid working environment uh, or retail uh, experience uh, in as much flexibility as possible. You mentioned it really perfect with the flexibility and, and the hybrid. And I fully agree with you, Hakan. These are two really dominant words which we take with us out of the pandemic situation and which we will carry on in the, the post-pandemic uh, time which comes. And, and you mentioned uh, it's important for the customer as well as for the employee, where I fully agree. And I see as well, it is super important for the supplier so that the supplier is already on a good digital transformation level so that we can also offer to our suppliers really this flexibility so that we assure that we are still paying them in time so that we are not getting difficulties on our supplier base to deal with them because they are the, the key of our business, what we have to drive. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I think uh, it's a journey where uh, you need to take everyone on board. I mean, you cannot just do it uh, on your own, uh, like with the, you know, with the inclusion of your customer. I mean, suppliers are uh, important components of your supply chain ecosystem, obviously. Uh, and this is also fully in line with our kind of strategic approach to supplier management uh, in our organization. I mean, you need to kind of uh, bring them on board in your journey and share uh, similar objectives in terms of, uh, you know, uh, this digitization agenda. Uh, otherwise, you cannot dis do this on your own and, uh, you know, uh, without the support of your suppliers or without getting them on board 
uh, you will not be also contributing, uh, you know, to your business. So it's a joint activity in my mind. Uh, and, uh, you know, since the start of the pandemic and even before actually digitization was a big topic uh, in our relationship with our suppliers and it just got accelerated, I would say. I mean, digital is uh, the very uh, like number one agenda item in all our supplier reviews and their digital roadmap as well as our digital roadmap is uh, probably one of the like top two, three topics that we bring on the table in each kind of supplier interaction. So thank you that you raised the topic uh, digitization and digital transformation and that you say it is one of the, the three topics. So when, when I talk to procurement leaders like you, Hakan, I see more and more that there is one topic which drives everyone and this is as well sustainability. So independent with whom I talk, sustainability is uh, really on a high, high priority in the company so that the procurement teams are as well buying into the company's strategic goals, but as well for how we source. So what, uh, with whom are we are doing business? How transparent is our supply chain? And I can imagine that uh, you and your team have a huge focus on this as well, because your products are going hand-to-hand every day so everyone is connected connectivity is really the one thing which is dominant for all of us so can you share with us a little bit how you drive sustainability sure uh, I, I think you know for, for a technology communications company like vodafone uh, and especially with regards to the kind of supply chain function um, there are two aspects of sustainability in my mind. One is actually what you do as a kind of overall organization uh, to ensure sustainability, like for the wider kind of society. And uh, secondly, uh, how uh, you kind of manage sustainability from a kind of internal supply chain organization point of view. I think, uh, you know, what uh, has been quite clear during the pandemic, since the start of the pandemic is, uh, you know, telecommunication is a kind of key sector. Uh, that connects the society, that connects the businesses, and uh, that also uh, allows kind of sustainability agenda to kind of move forward uh, with the products and services that we provide to the to the customers and to businesses and to the society overall. So I think Vodafone uh, plays a very, very key role uh, in terms of driving this sustainability agenda. And from a supply chain point of view, uh, we are a kind of key uh, enabler of the company sustainability agenda with uh, the initiatives that we undertake uh, with regards to kind of, uh, you know, ensuring energy efficiency and uh, reduction of the carbon footprint. Uh, in our domain, for example, in indirect spend, I mean, you would imagine it less than the direct spend procurement, right? Uh, the contribution of, uh, you know, the supply chain teams into the kind of sustainability agenda. But uh, surprisingly, or maybe not so, so surprisingly for people who are uh, working in the indirect spend domain, uh, indirect spend area can be also a major uh, kind of contributor to that. I mean, in the area of property, for example, we play a key role in terms of uh, uh, the energy usage and uh, energy efficiency of uh, our buildings, our retail stores, our, uh, you know, uh, data centers. Uh, so all of these kind of different property types are a main kind of uh, consumption kind of engines for uh, for energy and also CO2 emission. 
And thanks to the kind of sustainability agenda we have and the targets that we set for ourselves and for our business, uh, we are in the conquest on the end of uh, reducing our carbon footprint uh, also in our um, real estate. So this is a major contribution area from indirect spend procurement, for example, for the company's sustainability goals. So uh, altogether, I think uh, Vodafone plays a key role uh, in the wider sustainability agenda in the societies that uh, we operate. And from a supply chain point of view, uh, you know, we are a key enabler uh, of sustainable agenda in our organization. Uh, those are the two things that I can clearly say. And uh, and you mentioned it perfectly, Hakan. So data center, this is one of a big, big area you are responsible for. Mm -hmm. and, and with the data centers, you are setting really The, the right directions for sustainability. So there it is really going beyond the CO2 emission. There you have really everything. So what you are bringing in, how do you run it? So how is the uh, air condition? How is uh, green energy? So that, that that's really important. And therefore you play a, a very, very important role in the entire field of uh, sustainability. And when you mentioned data center, Hakan, immediately it came in my mind the shortage which we have at the moment uh, uh, on all the markets. Mm -hmm. So that we have uh, delivery shortages, that we have supply chain stretch uh, everywhere. How do you overcome this situation? Do you plan then already in advance uh, how to cover it? Or do you go then more for a multi-supplier strategy? Or how, how do you really deal with uh, such a challenge when it comes up? Do you calm down first? Or are you going hectic to the market and you grab everything what you, what you can? So how are you managing these challenges? So I think uh, in the energy agenda uh, for us, uh, you know, uh, the kind of main game changer we see is, uh, I believe, uh, like renewable uh, energy going forward. So uh, we have also company targets, company goals, uh, where we, you know, where we set ourselves like ambitious goals in terms of like making all our en energy consumption kind of uh, source from renewable energy uh, resources. I think uh, the shortage is linked to kind of scarcity of resources. Uh, but when you open up the renewable energy kind of agenda, all of a sudden, like you kind of open up a new kind of resource of energy, whether it come, it is a kind of solar power, whether it's a kind of wind power or any other kind of new technologies that we can talk about. Uh, I think, uh, you know, that's probably the most sustainable and most uh, future-oriented way to kind of uh, look at this scarcity problem. And try to sort it out. So, uh, you know, it also helps, uh, you know, the climate agenda, uh, obviously, um, but it kind of equally helps uh, in sorting out the scarcity of uh, of the energy energy resources. So, I believe, uh, you know, uh, companies have a kind of key role to play in this space, and uh, us as a company in Vodafone, also we are uh, uh, we have targets and uh, we are working continuously towards achieving those targets uh, in our supply chain. Yeah, and, and the situation will not get easier. So really from the from the pandemic to the havari, we had really everything this year and, and we had not only 
to deal with the COVID situation we had as well, especially in, in, in Germany, we, we had with the flood and uh, there we, we saw really how important it is to have a resilient supply chain. And what you mentioned, Hakan, a couple of minutes ago, how important it is to stay connected, to have a good connectivity, really to be prepared when difficult situations are, are coming uh, coming in. Hakan, I, I would not... Maybe, sorry? maybe Tamara, I mean, uh, talking about sustainability agenda, I mean, I think uh, I have a tendency to look at the sustainability as a broader agenda item, like ESG agenda, which includes other aspects of, uh, you know, sustainability or like uh, society, like uh, diversity and inclusion. Uh, maybe it is an opportunity to touch base on one aspect of what we are doing actually in that space as a company and also as a supply chain team here in Vodafone. Uh, so a few months ago, uh, we announced to all our supply base that uh, now, uh, you know, diversity, inclusion and uh, our own company purpose are key components of our uh, RFQ evaluation. So every single RFQ we run actually uh, in the direct as well as in the indirect spent area, uh, we have uh, the diversity and inclusion uh, and sustainability uh, agenda are key kind of evaluation criteria. I think this is a very, very important and strong message uh, that we give uh, to our stakeholders internal and externally uh, that you know we are a company that kind of takes this seriously. And uh, we want to work with organizations who are actually willing to uh, share this common agenda with us. And this will be a key differentiator going forward if they want to do business with Vodafone. Uh, I think, uh, you know, it's also important, I thought, to kind of highlight this uh, because diversity and inclusion are not less important than uh, the other aspects of, uh, you know, the ESG items. Uh, and we are doing a lot. Actually, we are putting a lot of effort in this space as well. Hakan, when I talk to colleagues in the US and they like something really very, very much, they say, you wowed me. And I must say, Hakan, you wowed me in the last minute, really, with this statement that you say, hey, and we bring it in the RFP. And, and there we say, we would like to have diverse and inclusive supplier as well participating, participating in the RFP. This is there you are really a front runner because this is something which uh, you have to be very, very brave, where you have to bring a lot of courage and where you have really also to explain it to your lines of business. Maybe sometimes it takes then a little bit longer, but this is a very bold statement. And this leads me, Hakan, to, to a topic which I see for the young professionals for the young talents we would like to get. It is more and more important, not only the big numbers, what, what we have in our top line, it is really they would like to see what big companies are doing exactly in this area, when it comes to diversity, when it comes to inclusion, when it comes really to corporate social responsibility. So when it is really going beyond. And this is for the young talents, very often a criteria, how they choose their employer. What is their employer of choice? And uh, there I can imagine that you are getting really great talents in particular with such an agenda you have. 
Indeed, I mean, I think uh, nowadays more and more kind of uh, young people uh, are looking at uh, not only, you know, the brand, their reputation and, you know, remuneration type of aspects of, uh, you know, the company that they want to enter in, but they are also interested with the purpose of the companies uh, that they are interested with. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, it is a kind of differentiator and it's an advantage uh, for organizations to to be purpose-led and Vodafone is one of them actually and uh, I think this is uh, giving us a competitive edge uh, in the marketplace in the employer marketplace uh, in terms of being able to offer actually uh, you know a purpose for the kind of young generations young talents actually uh, to pursue uh, you know in the organization that they join I think it's it's very very essential not for the sake of like having a purpose but really like meaning it and taking uh, initiatives actually to drive your purpose agenda uh, like we do with the kind of uh, you know uh, rfq kind of evaluation uh, criteria being uh, like diversity inclusion and society overall and our purpose overall uh, is important actually you need to not only have your purpose but you need to constantly show that you are serious about it and uh, you pursue uh, your purpose in all of your undertaking undertakings uh, and um, I believe this is a kind of important selection criteria for the young generations. Yeah, and 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 that's it, Hakan, and and absolutely spot on. The young professionals, when they come to you, they realize immediately if you mean it serious, or if you do a kind of greenwashing. So they they check it immediately. So how does your agenda look like? And if you are the company, which means it really serious. And with this, you can get really great talents. And I'm sure you will find the great talents with your personality, with your enthusiasm, how you, you deal it, and really with the story you can tell. And this leads me to a, a question, Hakan, would you have a recommendation for for the for the young generation, for the young talents, what they shall do to become in maybe 17 years a great leader as you are. Oh, thanks. Uh, I'm humbled, uh, Tamara. Thanks for the comments. Uh, I mean, I'm not a big uh, fan of like uh, didactic speeches or advices myself, but uh, I I believe in. Uh, leading and showing by examples you know uh, throughout my career uh, there are two things that uh, you know I benefited a lot uh, first one is uh, you know trying new things like uh, not hesitating to kind of step into new ventures if it is kind of moving from one function to another or if it is moving from one country one territory to another uh, I learned a lot uh, by broadening my kind of uh, perspective by doing that so that's something I would uh, encourage the young professionals to also keep in mind uh, because, you know, that's pretty much uh, the only way to kind of enhance your kind of skills uh, uh, in multidisciplinary kind of environment. Um, I'm not saying they should be kind of uh, mercenaries, uh, like uh, jumping from one area or from one company to another every single year. And probably that's not what they should do. But uh, I think... Uh, trying, changing, and especially in their first 10 years of their careers, I think it's quite essential to see different kind of uh, parts of the business or different type of organizations to figure out actually what interests them or what excites them most. And uh, that also give them 
like new skill sets actually, and that will prove to be quite useful in the later stages of their careers. And the second thing actually I benefited a lot is um, I was uh, extremely lucky and privileged to have worked with great leaders throughout my career who inspired me a lot. I mentioned one of them actually, my first boss, but I can say easily, effortlessly, a dozen names actually who really influenced me. Uh, but not only the leaders that I worked with or uh, the bosses that I worked with, uh, it's, only, uh, it's also my peers or my team members or other junior staff that kind of influenced me a lot actually throughout uh, my career journey. So uh, the second advice I would give uh, to the young professionals is uh, look around, uh, you know, get inspiration from those uh, who are good at certain things, uh, who are uh, like uh, well-rounded professionals. Uh, and who are eager to help. I mean, uh, don't try to do things on your own, actually. Don't try to learn everything on your own. There are, I'm sure, a lot of people that you can uh, you can find around you, whether it's a peer, whether it's a kind of uh, subordinate, whether it's a kind of uh, manager that you are working with or a manager of a different department. Try to kind of extract as much as possible from those, uh, those professionals. Uh, it, it helps a lot. And in my particular case, it helped a lot in my personal and professional development. So these are the two things that uh, I can recommend without being too much didactic, hopefully. Yeah, and, and I, I like it to say what, what you can recommend. So even not giving an advice, but what you can recommend out of your own experience. And for me, it resonates greatly to say, hey, having a focus on mentoring, really finding this mentor who is very honest to you and gives you then as well, recommendations where you can select from and what I find super important and, and you touched it is really the networking aspect so and, and networking and this is what I say very often networking is not that you go every day with the same people for lunch networking is really to see where are the leaders, where are the interesting people I would like to meet, knock at the door, try to get really a, a little bit time with, with them, listen to them. And I'm sure, Akan, with this podcast, we can bring a lot of interesting things uh, to the audience. And, and, and that's really great. Thanks a lot for, for that. Akan, I could talk for hours and hours with you, but uh, I know we have uh, slight restrictions in, in timing. Any final word from you? Uh, any final thought you would like to share with me, with the audience? So, I mean, we talked a lot about pandemic, obviously, Tamara, uh, and uh, hopefully with the kind of, um, you know, uh, mass production of vaccines, uh, we started to slowly see the light at the end of the tunnel. To all the audience and all the listeners, uh, well done for keeping it up until now. Be patient. Uh, for a little more while uh, keep uh, good care of yourself and uh, your loved ones and your colleagues and your family and friends hope uh, we will get out of it uh, uh, very quickly that's my sincere hope and that would be my last words thanks a lot Hakan for being here with me today thanks a lot for your kind openness for the inspiration and for for the good talk if you want to learn more about Hakan you can looking up on LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Stay tuned for more episodes of Beyond Sourcing podcast. You can also visit the link in the description box for more resources about some of the strategies discussed by our guests.